And so tonight in 1 Peter chapter number 3, I want to begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, Likewise ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. I want you to notice this. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Would you pray with me tonight? Heavenly Father, I need your presence and power. Lord, I know that you're amongst us, but I want you to be manifest in a mighty way tonight. Lord, you and you alone can do in hearts what's most needful. So, Father, we ask that you would affect your will in our lives and help us to be obedient to it. Father, if there's one amongst us that's lost and undone, I pray that you'd show them their need of Christ. One that's running from you, Lord, I pray you'd catch them. God, one that's downtrodden, I pray you'd uplift them. But, God, whatever that need is, we'd ask you to meet it. And, Lord, I, I pray that you'd help us to be submissive to your word tonight. Lord, help us to take it and apply it to our hearts. Hide it in our bosoms, Lord. And follow it. And let it be a, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And God, help us to love Your Word with the holy reverence that it deserves to be loved with. Father, we'll be sure to thank You for all that You do. And we'll be careful to give You the praise and honor and glory that's due to Your name. We love You, Lord. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. In First Peter chapter number 3, it becomes very apparent just reading a few verses that we're dealing uh, with the home. But I'm struck by verse number 8 where it says, Finally be ye all of one mind. Peter moves out of talking exclusively about the home and speaks about our relationships in general. And there is a call to unity in this passage. If there's anything that's missing in the New Testament church today, aside from holiness and burden, I'd say that it's unity. Unity is not just two people putting aside their differences, but unity is two people with a common goal and purpose, sharing in the common bond of Jesus Christ, and working together to accomplish His will and His purpose for the church, but also for their everyday lives. Can I tell you that the devil's heart's desire is to destroy the unity of the church, the unity of the home, 
The devil's desires do everything he can to try to put a fly in the ointment uh, of the balm of Gilead, to try to do something to disrupt the work of God and try to do something to destroy the home. Never have we lived in such a day that we see discord uh, and trial and disharmony in our homes as we do today. It seems as though everywhere you look, the devil is just coming in like a bulldozer and doing everything he can to destroy us. There is one remedy to this, and I believe it's given in 1 Peter chapter number 3. And I just want to give you three or four words very simply tonight. And I'm going to do my best to be brief. Look at verse number 8 with me. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful. Be courteous. Can I say that if we're going to have unity in our homes and in our churches and in our lives, our marriages, one of the first things that that is vital to this endeavor is we have to have a desire to have unity. The Bible says that there needs to be a wish and a desire and a purpose in our hearts and lives that we would get along. Now, I don't know about you. You may have never met anyone like this, but I've met people in my life that they didn't live by every uh, word of God, but they lived by every word of gossip. They lived by every single moment of discord that they could cause. They did everything they could. It's almost like they fed off of the drama. Can I tell you that nothing will kill a church, nothing will kill a home, nothing will kill a marriage quicker than a desire for drama and a desire for discord. You say, surely there's not people like that. Well, you just take inventory of some of the people in your life that you know, and you'll find people that aren't happy unless they're feuding, that aren't happy unless they're fighting. They have no desire whatsoever to have unity in their homes and in their hearts. And Peter writes to these and says that there has to first off be a desire to be compassionate. Having compassion. Boy, that's a word we use a lot today, but that's a word I think very few of us really understand. I've given this definition before, and I've found that it's held true as I've studied God's Word and looked at life, that compassion is allowing yourself to be emotionally inconvenienced for the sake of another. In other words, looking at another person's needs, knowing it's going to grieve you, but choosing rather to meet their needs instead of your own. The Bible says we are to have compassion. Boy, let me just tell you, we live in a cold day today, you know it? I mean, we live in a day where uh, everything is calculated and everything is put in a machine and everything is just such and such a way. People have no time to love and care for one another. They have no interest in loving and caring for one another. And this notion of compassion is something that's been delegated to the charities and delegated to people who's made that their life's work. There was a time in this country when compassion was common. There was a time in this country when if a man fell sick and he couldn't tend to his home, the community would come together and bring his crops in. There was a time in this country where if somebody fell sick and they couldn't provide food uh, for their family of no, of no choosing of their own, the community would come together and they would, uh, they'd make sure that family had everything that they need. They didn't have to do that. But that's what we call compassion. You know, the same thing is true in our lives and in our homes. Uh, I, I'm going to be honest with you. Every one of us, were faced with conflicts. Every one of us, when you have two people, you're going to have two different sets of problems that are going to bump into each other from time to time. 
And when those conflicts and those trials come into the scene, you've got a choice that you're going to make. How am I going to deal? Am I going to deal with this with my own interest in heart and mind? Or am I going to look to the needs of another just as Christ did for me when He met my needs on Calvary? Not caring for His own uh, well-being, not caring for His own uh, feelings, not caring for His own emotions, but seeing only my need and no longer seeing my faults. That's compassion. Compassion is choosing not to hold something over someone's head. You hear me? Compassion is choosing rather to do what God would want than what your flesh would want. We see that they're to have compassion. Look at what it says. Go a little bit further. I want you to notice not only compassion, but it says love as brethren. Love as brethren. Boy, there's probably not much stronger of a bond in this world than that of blood brothers, blood brethren. There's something uh, unique about it. There's something almost holy about it. Those that are knit together in flesh and blood. But I believe this is a different kind of brethren that's being spoken of. I believe that Peter is speaking uh, particularly to husbands and wives here. And he's speaking about a love of Christ. You know what we do many times? And I tell you, I'm guilty of this. Let me just, I know I don't believe i got to confess anything to you. But let me just be honest with you. There's times I treat my wife worse than I would a total stranger. You hear me? Don't get nervous. You probably do it too. Think about some of the things you've said to your spouse and ask yourself, would I say that to a total stranger? Would I say that to somebody I don't even know? Let alone somebody that I love and care about. Most people treat those that they love worse than a total stranger. Familiarity breeds that in our hearts and lives. We assume they're always going to be there. We assume they're always going to forgive. But what's the Bible commandment? To love as brethren. We ought to love each other. Because if we are saved, of course, we ought to love each other because we are brethren. But we ought to love those that God has collided our paths with. With the love that Christ loved us with. We ought to be compassionate. We ought to be caring. I want you to notice what he says next. Uh, Look what the Bible says. Be pitiful, be courteous. Pity, okay, uh, here obviously is not saying pitiful in the sense of we might look at someone and say, well, they just look pitiful. But it's saying being full of pity and being courteous. I'll tell you what will fix a lot of our problems, and I'm going to hammer on this here in just a moment. It'd fix a lot of our problems if we just watch our tongue and be careful what we say. Isn't that true? Doesn't the book of James tell us that the tongue is set on fire from hell? Doesn't the book of James warn us against the wickedness and the destructiveness of the human tongue? That the things that we say can drive wedges between those that we love and destroy hearts and homes. Isn't that what the book of James teaches us? And Peter says, why don't you learn to be courteous? You know what he uses in another passage? He says, be ye kind one to another. Boy, that seems simple, don't it? Be ye kind. But most of us struggle with it. Kind. We ought to listen. We ought to treat those around us that we love, that we care for. We ought to treat them with the same courtesy, more courtesy than we treat the common stranger. But most of us have left off being courteous to one another. Most of us, I don't know, maybe you've not seen this, but I, I've seen it many times. We were at the Olive Garden today and uh, somebody say amen. And uh, and they had that smoked mozzarella chicken. I'm getting off track. But we're at the Olive Garden today, and we had a waitress, and uh, if you can call her that, amen. And uh, one overwhelming thing, me and Leah were talking about it on the way back. It wasn't that she was intentionally inept or incompetent. But there was a slight biting tone in everything she said. 
She was what we call discourteous. You'd ask for something. You'd say, excuse me, ma'am, I've got this soup and I want a mountain of cheese on it. Can you come? You know how they do. They got the, the cheese. Can you bring? Yeah, I'll get it just as soon as I can. Not yes, sir. As soon as I'm able to, I'd be glad to. Just that little snapping. And you know what? We notice that. We notice that. I wonder if, I wonder if those that you love that are around you notice it when you snap at them. Hey, listen, I know that seems insignificant. But it's the slow, steady drop that fills the bucket. And I believe if we'd learn to be courteous, it'd change a lot of the way we live our lives. If we learn to be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. I mean, I'll tell you what's missing most of our homes. And listen, this is going to blow James Dobson right smack out of the water. I know this isn't uh, faith for the home or whatever it is. Focus on the family. But I'll tell you what fix a lot of our problems in our homes and in our churches and our lives if we just learn to be kind to each other. Just to be kind. Just simple Christian kindness one to another. There's got to be a desire. But I want you to notice number two. Look at verse number nine. Look at the first phrase. Not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing. There's got to be a desire to get along, but there's got to be a decision made in the each and every day of the matter. It says not railing evil for evil, not not railing, uh, uh, not railing for railing, not evil for evil. In other words, what Peter is saying here is this: every time somebody steps on your toes. You've got a choice to make. You've got a choice. I, let me tell you something. If I leave things up to my flesh, I'm going to make a mess of things before I can even blink. But we live in a day when the vast majority of people are driven by their flesh. We respond in a moment. We react in a moment. Never giving thought. There's got to be a conscious decision every single day in the way that we handle things, in the things that we do, in the things that we say. We have to purpose in our heart about these things. It ain't going to happen on accident. I know that you thought whenever, uh, you know, you joined a church or, or got married or began to have kids, whatever it is, I know you thought you was just going to love everybody so much it was going to be easy all the time, right? I know that. And I know, you know, when, when you get married, I mean, you know, for that honeymoon period, I mean, you can just never see how you could have an argument. Pretty soon you learn to have them, amen? And you could never imagine that you'd wind up being that way. But I'll tell you what do. Next time you're in the middle of something with somebody, next time you're in the middle of an argument with a friend or an argument with a church member, an argument with a spouse, an argument with your kids, why don't you just click pause for a minute and ask yourself this. Did I ever expect I'd treat people this way? Did I ever expect I'd be this way? You see, the reason that we do those things is not because we're making decisions, because we're being indecisive about it. It's not because we're choosing to be that way. It's because we're not choosing to not be that way. That's the very problem. We all have a choice to make. Somebody snaps at you, you have a choice how you're going to respond. Somebody says something ugly to you, you've got a choice how you're going to respond. You have a choice. You make a decision in that moment. It's been said before that Christians are not measured by their actions, but rather by their reactions. I think there's some truth to that. I think we have to make up our mind we're going to get along with people. I mean, listen, I know I'm simple. I ain't been around the block one too many times yet, I don't guess. But but you just allow me to make a simple, colloquial country observation. I kind of believe if we tried a little harder, we might get along a little better, don't you? Don't you? Don't you believe maybe if we put a little more effort into being kind, we get along better with one another? 
Don't you think maybe if we just made a conscious decision that regardless of how somebody treats me, I'm going to treat them like Christ would want me to treat them. Don't you think that changed things? I believe that's what Peter's saying here. I believe he's saying when people do evil towards you and speak evil towards you, you have to make up your mind you're not going to speak it back. When people rail against you, you know what railing is? That is a good old-fashioned Bible word for nagging. That's what that is, amen? I mean, I'm not going to give you Greek because I don't know it even if I wanted to. But I know enough about railing to know what railing is. Railing is just good old biblical nagging. That's what it's saying. We have a choice we're going to make when that happens. We have a choice. You might be saying, preacher, how do we make that choice? Preacher, I try to, but it's hard. Preacher, I try to, but I'm just not able. I've heard people say it before. Well, I'm just not able to help myself. Well, you're right. You're not able to help yourself. But I'll tell you what you are able to do. You are able to kill yourself, mortify yourself, nail yourself to a cross. Look what he says. I like this in verse number 9. It says, knowing that you are thereunto called, that ye should... I want you to underscore this in your heart, mind, and margin. Inherit a blessing. Inherit a blessing. I'm not, I'm not a smart fella. But there's only one time that you get an inheritance in life. You get an inheritance when what's happened? Somebody has died. You don't inherit something if nobody's died. Somebody has to die for there to be an inheritance. I believe there has to be a desire. I believe there has to be a decision. But I believe if we're going to learn to live in harmony and unity one with another, there's going to have to be a death take place. We're going to have to learn to die to self. Let me just let me just rattle your cage and shiver your timbers. Do you know that this world is not all about you? That pill must have been awful big because it seemed hard to swallow. Can I say that again? This world is not all about you. Just like it ain't all about me. It's not about what you want, nor is it about what I want. It's about what he wants. That's what it's about. You say, but it's not fair. Nobody ever said it was going to be fair. You're hereunto called. You ever stop and think about the fact that you are called to meekness? That's what meekness is, isn't it? Isn't it power under control? Power without being displayed? Isn't that what meekness is? Meekness and humility are not the same thing. Meekness is having the wherewithal and the power to respond and react, but choosing rather to let God be your avenger. That's what meekness is. Moses, the Bible tells us, was the meekest man on the entire earth. You know why? He was leading probably around two million people through the desert. He was listening to their complaining. But you know what he did when they complained? He went and talked to the Lord. He didn't talk to them. He went and talked to the Lord. People did him wrong. Don't you believe that? People did Moses wrong. I mean, they went very far into the desert before they started. And well, Moses has brought us out here to die. Well, it'd be better if we were back in Egypt. You don't find Moses flying off the handle. Instead, you know what you find him doing? You find him going to the Lord and praying and seeking God's face and God's help. You know what happened? Moses got crucified right there. That's what happened. He had a choice to make. And when you make that decision, what you're saying is, yeah, it may not be fair, but it's what God expects of me. Yeah, it may not be what I like, but it's what God expects of me. Yeah, it may not prove a point. Boy, let me tell you something. All all that proving a point does is make a pointy relationship. Amen? That's all it does. 
One of the greatest phrases I've ever heard. I, my father-in-law taught me this. Uh, somebody would say something, arguing back and forth. He'd say, well, that and $1.50 gets you a cup of coffee. And that's about what it amounts to. Most of the things that we get involved with, most of the arguments, most of the disputes, at the end of the day, when eternity comes, it's not going to make a difference. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, if we were wrong for it, it'll only stand to our account. We're called thereunto. Why? That when we die to self, we'd inherit a blessing from God. God has a purpose in it. Listen, God has a purpose in your bad times just like He does your good times. God has a purpose in, in uh, the affliction that you face just as He does in the exaltation that you experience. God has a purpose in every bit of it. We see a death must take place. And as long as our feelings and emotions are what drives us, we're not dead. You ever ask a dead man how he feels about anything? Has he ever responded? We go to a funeral. And we watch and they stretch them out in that casket and everybody walks by and lies and talks about how good they look, amen? <laughs> and, uh, oh, I'm kidding. I upset somebody saying that one time. You know that? But uh, they do. They look nice for a dead person. And uh, we go by and we say all these nice things to them. But you know what I found? Never once has anyone ever said, well, thank you for that compliment. You know, we all say the same thing. They look so good. Well, they look alive, don't they? That's scary, amen? We always say, well, they look alive. And I'm thinking, yeah, if pale and painted up looks alive, but never once has anyone I've ever said of them said, well, thank you for that compliment. I've never done this, but I suppose you could probably walk by a casket and you could probably curse at them. They wouldn't respond. Dead man doesn't respond to anything. You say, but... How can I live as a dead man? How can I live died to self? Where does the life come from? If I'm not doing what I want to do, then what am I doing? Paul answered that very, very quickly in Galatians 2.20. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Now, that's the simple, that's what we're talking about. Crucifying ourselves, mortifying ourselves, putting away what we wish and doing only what God wishes. Dying to self, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Paul says, I've got to live and function, so how do I live? Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Let me just lay it out there very simple. When you put yourself aside, put your wishes aside, put your emotions aside, pray to God and ask His help, and through the Holy Spirit you begin to obey Him. You know what that is? It's no longer you living, but you're obeying Christ's wishes and it's Him living through you. That's being dead to self. That's dying to self. Letting the Holy Spirit of God lead you in your endeavors and lead you in the everyday of life. That's dying to self. We see that there's got to be a desire. There's got to be a decision. There's got to be a death. But I want you to look at verse number 10. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. That will preach right there without me even saying anything. Why is it we believe John 3.16, but we don't believe that? God says this. God says this, neighbor. Not the preacher. Not a, not a motivational speaker. Not Joel Osteen, neighbor. God says this. God says if you want to live a good life, and let me just put it in plain language. If you want to live a good life and see long days, you better learn how to control your tongue. You better learn how to not speak evil. You better learn. Let me just put it this way. You want to be happy in life? You better learn how to treat people good. The Bible says, blessed, are the merc uh, blessed is the merciful, for he shall obtain mercy. 
If you don't act with mercy towards people, you know what they're going to do? They're not going to act with mercy towards you. And I hate to drop notice on us, but we are all going to need a little mercy sometimes. We're all going to mess up. Every one of us. I know you don't think you do, but you do. And I know you don't think I do, amen, but I do. We're all going to need mercy from time to time. We're all going to need somebody to not give us what we do deserve. We're all going to need that. How do you get that? You show mercy to others. You be kind one to another. Listen, I know this isn't run up and down the aisles and do backflips. I understand. I know this isn't singing amazing grace and shouting and hallelujah. But this will help you more than you'd realize. This will help us more than we realize. If we learn that the power of life and death is in the tongue. That if we love it, we'll see good life, see long days. If we learn that our tongue does more destruction in this world than sword or tank ever could. If we learn that the things we say to people we don't take so easily back. Peter says we need to learn how to control our actions, control our emotions. Let me tell you something. We live in a world that tells you if you feel it, it's right. Isn't that right? Dr. Phil makes a living off of it. Oprah, God help us, Oprah made a living off of it for a lot of years, didn't she? If, if it feels right, if it's how you feel, then it's okay. Now, I don't discount emotions. God give us emotions. But you know what the Bible says? Let every thought be brought into subjection. Your emotions aren't what ought to drive you. The Spirit of God's what ought to drive you. Emotions, listen to me carefully, emotions are a neutral faction. Emotions can be used for the cause and glory of God or for the cause and glory of the devil. Why do you think it is we play songs during invitation? I, let, let me just, let me, theology 101. A person can get saved without just as I am playing. Do you know that? But you know why we do that? Because immediately when the altar call starts, you know what the devil starts doing? He comes up and he starts, he starts pushing and bullying. He comes up and he tells you, if you get up and go down there, they're going to talk about you. If you get up and go down there, they're going to think this about you. Well, you're going to get up and go down and make a fool out of yourself. And the devil starts pushing. The devil starts bullying. You know what he does? He takes those emotions and he tries to use them to bully you down. So we take God-fearing, God-honoring, Christ-exalting music that sits there and battles back and says, No, come just as you are. Come just as you are without one plea. Come just as you are. Emotions are a neutral thing. They can be used for good, they can be used for bad, but never should they master us. We've got to learn in our lives to not let our emotions drive us, but to allow the Spirit of God. You say, that's hard, preacher. Yeah, it's hard. I'm not saying it's not. But if you want to see long days and love life and have a good life, if you want to love people and have them love you back, if you want to have peace and harmony and unity with those around you, you're going to have to learn how to do it. We all are. I know this hadn't been one of them snap, crackle, pop sermons, amen. But I believe we need it in our lives, don't you? I believe we need it more desperately than a lot of things that could be preached. I want to give you the opportunity right now. I told you I was going to be brief, and I was as brief as I could be. As she slips to the piano, with her heads bowed, her eyes closed, I want to give you the opportunity to speak to the Lord.